This is the Love Your Team podcast, where we discuss strategies for sales managers to retain top talent and build high-performing teams. I'm your host, Helen Finucci, and I've been leading and managing teams for over 25 years. Thank you for tuning in. After taking the summer off, I am back again in the recording studio, and I am so delighted to have as my first guest back, John Majeski, CEO of Portola Valley Partners, located in Silicon Valley. In this episode, we're going to dig in and talk about early stage companies and why John makes this podcast required listening for the founders he works with. A little bit about John. John has a history of being a founder and large IT company executive. He's been a partner in companies that have successfully exited through larger company acquisitions. And he has worked as an executive with companies like HP, Dell, and Lenovo, and helped scale business units organically and through M&A. And now he's CEO of Portolo Valley Partners. Welcome to Love Your Team, John. Thanks, Ellen. Appreciate you having me today. It's my pleasure, truly. So a few questions as we jump in. Can you describe a little bit about the companies that you work with? And I guess most importantly, what your company does? Sure, Helen. Yes. As an organization, we focus on early stage and growth stage companies. At a high level, we really help them build and grow so they can get funded and then ultimately experience an exit. And it's interesting because many companies come to us looking for funding, and they all wonder, why is it so hard to get funding? And why is it less than 10% of all companies that look for any funding, whether it's angel capital, seed capital, or venture capital in terms of a Series A or a Series B round, why is it so hard to get it? And the reality is that there's no shortage of great ideas and brilliant founders. The problem is that most companies don't get funding because they haven't generated sales traction, which validates their product, validates the market they're in, and shows that there will be customer adoption. Venture capitalists and angel investors are looking for a return on their money. And the best way to validate, does a product really fit in the market or not, is is it selling? And this is tough for uh, early stage companies. Right. So how do you interact with those companies who have these great ideas and are looking for help? What do you guys, what's your secret sauce? What do you do? Yeah, well, it's interesting because a lot of times, even in an early stage company, we have to sort of unwind or rewind a bit. And we have to get back to, you know, is the product market fit strong? Is their product vetted in voice of customer, voice of market? Uh, voice of analysts that really justifies that there's going to be some market adoption. Once we've really finessed everything, and let's say that's sort of in the build phase, real discipline around product management, go-to-market strategies, and things like that, we then like to sort of fast-track the approach to generating sales so we can start selling their products and services effectively in the market. Great. That, of course, sounds amazing. And so to fast track sales, that's easier said than done, as we all know. And I guess this is is. where potentially you get to maybe coach founders and 
do you find yourself kind of in a sales management role essentially to try to provide help and coaching to those founders to fast track sales? To some extent, yes. I look at obviously sales is a real critical piece of any portfolio company that we're working with. And although we don't look at ourselves as sales management, maybe sales advisors or maybe even sales mentors in a way. Mm-hmm. The reality is a lot of founders, especially in Silicon Valley, have a very technical background, brilliant technologists, brilliant engineers, fantastic, potentially game-changing ideas. And often what we find is they think they understand sales. They think it's a simple transactional business, but it's obviously, you and I know from our own history, that it's a lot different than that. It requires discipline, it requires structure, it requires incentive, it requires motivation, and Leading a sales team is much different than leading an engineering team. Right, right, right. Well said. So are the founders actually doing the sales or what kind of structure do these companies have? Are they hiring salespeople? And maybe kind of a a question that goes along with that is at what point do you get engaged with them? So we like to do a lot of things in parallel because we also realize that with any of these early stage companies, time is of the essence. You have to move quickly because there's only so much runway. The capital will only last so long. So as we're finalizing product roadmaps, product strategy, go to market, we're starting to seed the market for sales along the way and seeing what type of feedback we get, that classic voice of customer feedback. And a lot of times the founders will be trying to, especially in a very small organization that just started, they will be trying to sell themselves, but they're also trying to run a company. They're trying to develop their products. So we believe in taking sort of a multifaceted approach. We think there is merit to direct selling and reaching out to known contacts and friendly people who might want to adopt their product, services, hardware, whatever it is. And at the same time, we also believe in embracing a channel strategy. That indirect sales channel is really key to any startup. As long as you can get the messaging right and create the proper incentives for the channel to deliver, that's a fantastic extension of the company's maybe one or two person sales team. Right, for sure. Wow. So then you're coaching or mentoring the executives at the early stage company and trying to help them create a structure and and messaging and product market fit. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like the engineering is happening in parallel with how you're thinking about going to market or ideating about market and the sales strategies. Yes, absolutely. So we like to say we have our hands in a little bit of everything and we work as sort of a hands-on team of operators. It's truly an extension of the company that we're helping to support because we're, we're monitoring, we're listening, we're observing, and we're trying to sort of around their vision, around their culture, structure, incentive plans, the right types of salespeople to bring into the mix. Ultimately, again, we look to sort of mentor and advise and ultimately find replacements for ourselves. Our job is relatively short-term, but we want to make sure that when we leave any organization that we're supporting, that we're leaving them in better shape than when they started. And hopefully we've helped to identify sales leaders, sales reps, sales managers, sales engineers, whatever is needed in any particular company. Great. So you must have a number of people that 
are in your organization, the question would be, what kind of roles or people do you have uh, within your company to help provide that support? Because that sounds like you're covering a lot of disciplines. Yeah, I mean, we're very fortunate to be surrounded by a team of people who have had a lot of firsts in the market or a lot of success in the market and are truly committed to giving back to early stage companies. We take a particular focus and have a particular affinity for companies that have impact and are doing things that are going to help better our planet, change the environment for the good, and do good things for us as humans going forward. Great. Fantastic. So pivoting a bit, gosh, we met, I think it was six or seven years ago. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And so that was great. And then I started this podcast in January and I was surprised and delighted to see you pop up and comment on an episode or two and Mm -hmm. recommend my podcast. So tell me a little bit about how that fits into the work that you do, because this is really about developing strong team cultures and helping sales managers manage their teams effectively and build high-performing teams. So how does this podcast fit into the work that you do? Because I was just super intrigued about that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, the power of LinkedIn, right? When I saw something in my feed come up with, hey, Helen Finucci has a podcast, and I thought, that's interesting. I know Helen. I wonder what she's talking about. I listened, and I thought, wow, there is so much of this information that needs to be imparted on these early stage companies. And even though it's an enterprise focus, what I always say is that these big companies are big because they do some things right, particularly around process and procedure. Sales is highly structured, whether it's Microsoft, Dell, HP, it's a very structured methodology. And not that you could ever expect a small early stage growth stage company to to embrace that full methodology. But if you take a look at sort of a skinny down version of it, if you collapse that full 70 page methodology to just the headers, there's really something there. I mean, that can get to sort of the essentials of what works. And the interesting thing is not only are those tried and true techniques that have worked. But at the same time, if ultimately an early stage company has aspirations to get acquired, the more aligned they are to those big companies, policies, procedures, methodologies, the more likely of an acquisition candidate they are. And you know, the more integration ready they are. So we like to try to take some of this big company thinking and apply it in the right size dose to smaller companies that we work with. And Helen, you mentioned culture and culture is just foundational to everything. And it's funny in a way, I'm glad that culture is being discussed as much as it is today. It's always existed, but there's more emphasis on it than ever, more awareness. And I think that's a really important piece of it. And I think that you have a organizational culture that might be one thing, but then there's sort of these subcultures underneath of it. There's the culture around the engineering team, the culture around the sales team. And as I said earlier, those are kind of separate and apart. It's kind of a different, generally, generally a different type of person that's a salesperson versus an engineer. So to get that sales culture right, and to get the sales culture, especially in an early stage company, 
more aligned to with how the larger companies operate. Not only does that develop a methodology, but sort of the vernacular, the way they say things, the way they position their products, the way that the length of the sales cycle, it's just more relatable. And all of these large companies, their path to innovation is acquisition. <laughs> so again, the more like them that you can be within reason, you generally we find the better. That's great. That's great to hear. My podcast is really, as you said, more geared towards enterprise sales. That's, you know, what I do, what I know more directly. I've done sales for smaller pre-IPO companies, but that was quite some years ago in my career. So that's super, super interesting. The culture aspect across different team disciplines, if you will, engineering, marketing, sales, what etc. I think that a lot of the concepts are very applicable. As you know, I just wrote a book that will come out November 1st. And I can't wait to read it. Can't wait. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you for the preview copy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, insider uh, friends, if you will, <laughs> friends and family, I'm delighted to share electronic version, but in the book, I explicitly narrowed the focus to be very much sales-oriented, sales management-oriented, but I did also acknowledge that I've been managing teams for over 25 years, mostly remotely, and across different disciplines. I technical sales. I currently have cloud solution architects, customer engineers working for me. I've led marketing teams, and there's a lot of themes, I think, that are quite applicable across people are people, right? And at the core, you've got to understand what motivates team members, what they care about. And I think that that's particularly important in a post-pandemic world where there is a talent shortage and where, frankly, expectations of employees have shifted and they expect to work remotely, as an example. So It's the idea that you're thinking about this more broadly than just sales is, I think, very relevant and applicable. And it's really great to see if you have any lessons learned, I'd be interested because as I said, I have really dedicated time and thought to thinking about how it applies to sales. But I think if there are things that are culture orientation or cultural things related to other, to engineering, not to put you on the spot right now, but engineering (laughs) or other disciplines, that would be great learning for me as well. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. One of the things that we see is that early stage companies view each functional part of the organization as a silo. The reality is that they need to interoperate. And sales is a wonderful channel of getting that voice of customer feedback. When you look at what it would cost for an early stage company to do a customer council and actually get the right people in the room or on Zoom or on Teams or whatever, that's a lot of effort. And sometimes it's near impossible, especially for an early stage company. But that feedback that you're getting from sales organization, why did the customer buy it? Why didn't they buy it? Who's the competition that they're looking at? Where do we stand in the competitive landscape? 
that is so valuable. So I think a lot of organizations underestimate the value of sales. They think it's transactional or sort of one way, just putting the products into the market or selling them. But it's actually a very interesting two-way conduit. And at the same time, let's say that feedback comes back and 10 out of 10 customers are saying that you need to change the color of the user interface. Well, you should probably change it, right? And then the, the other interesting thing that comes out of that, let's say the product and the engineering organization react to that feedback and version 1.1 comes out with the new improved user interface. Well, great. Now the sales team is a little bit more motivated and they feel like the organization's listening to them rather than saying, no, it's staying the color it is. We're doing things the way we always did them. So that dynamic relationship between sales and product and engineering is really important. Even in the sales, I look at sales organizations should not be out on an island. Everything starts with sales. If sales doesn't exist, there are no engineers, there are no marketing people, there is no company, right? So to pull people in, I think it gives them more of an appreciation of what it takes to generate revenue, what you have to do to compete, because everybody has competitors one way or another, and how you have to position your product. I think that's one interesting thing. Then the other interesting thing that I've seen through developing sales organizations is that a lot of founders take this sort of headstrong view at times saying, we're going to take down Google. We're going to take down HP. We're, our products are better. And our coaching to them is, you know what? If they are actually better, that probably means they're filling a gap. Not that they do the whole thing, but they fill a gap. And what if you could go to those companies and say, hey, we love what you do, and we'd like to help. Here's how we fit into your ecosystem. That does a couple of things. Number one, you're not making a ridiculously bullish statement that you can't defend, that you're going to take down some major company and, and, and be better than them with two people and a dog, right? But, <laughs> but the other thing is that that company, if you're plugging a gap or adding functionality to some of their core products, that makes these early stage companies a great candidate for investment as well as potentially acquisition down the road. So, yeah. and that data only comes back to us through sales. If a sales rep comes across a question, well, seems like Google has this built into it. Why do we need you? No, they actually don't. This is what we do, but this is how we complement Google. We don't replace it. We complement it. It makes the ecosystem richer. And as that story starts to permeate and organically trickle into the market, that's a really good thing for these early stage companies. That's how they end up getting acquired by the larger ones. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things I love about what you just said is the feedback loop with sales and how important mm -hmm. it is to work with engineering and product marketing. And I would have thought that that's pretty straightforward and easy in early stage companies, but I'm curious, is there much friction with different, you call them silos, which of course I get that <laughs> term, but I would have thought that there would be motivation to work more tightly across the silos as you call them. I think for the most part, assuming that the culture is healthy, people generally want to be collaborative in an early stage company, but whether you're two people, 10 people, or 20 people trying to get a lot of different things done, even though the intention might be there to collaborate, often it's not. People are heads down developing, heads down doing marketing, heads down doing selling. So one of the things 
that we like to enforce is making sure that this connective tissue is actually being exercised. We know it's there, but often it's dormant. So if we can help sort of energize that or encourage dialogue between engineering and marketing and sales, that helps a company succeed faster. They start fast tracking their growth. It fast tracks revenue, gives you sort of that feeling of camaraderie. And it's funny because uh, you and I know from working large companies, those silos exist and that a lot of times that connective tissue <laughs> just doesn't exist uh, between those silos and it's really hard to build it. So we look at these early stage companies. This is when you can actually build it, strengthen it and leverage it. Yeah, great. You know, you made a comment just now about assuming a healthy culture exists and you talked about that everything starts with sales, that there is no company without sales, there is no revenue or no engineering. It seems to me as well that if you don't have a healthy culture, it really puts the company at risk as well, because mm -hmm. you're not able to have kind of that virtuous flywheel of feedback and the friction of working together. It's got to be a big red flag, I'm guessing particularly given the nature of how fragile some early stage companies might be trying to get themselves off the ground. How do you think about that? Do you see that? Or am I just imagining kind of a situation that doesn't exist? No, that definitely exists. And I mean, I have to say, generally being an optimistic person, I have to say that I think everybody intends for, an organ for their organization, for a founder's organization to have a healthy culture. The trick, though, is carving out the time to show the organization that it exists. And it's just beyond important, whether it's just two people, five, 10, 20, it's really important and it has to trickle down from above. That CEO or founder has to carve out the time to really do what it takes to show employees that they value what they do. They care about what they do. They care about them as humans beyond just being employees or contributors to the mission. Carving out that little bit of time that it takes to do that and reinforce that, that the person at the top actually cares is absolutely critical. Whereas if you have a very typical founder working eight hours a week, heads down all the time, in and out of meetings, never speaking to anybody, but definitely focused on the business, that kind of creates a rub and that's not a very human-like environment. So the more human-like and the more we realize that people are people, as you said, and they're, they're humans and they have things that motivate them, things that demotivate them, and to really sort of tune into that culture, that can create more growth for a company than anything else. And that's growth across product, sales, engineering, everything. Wow, that is great news. That means that I understand more clearly the relevance of this podcast for your founders and early stage companies. That is clearer to me because there's the stereotypical engineering founder and to really build strong culture and understand people, you need to have communication skills, empathy, build mm -hmm. trust, connection, the if you will, the soft skills that are talked about more and more these days. So that's really great news to hear that it's so foundational to small companies as well as large organizations. 
Yeah, and I like to say I I personally think that the soft skills aren't so soft. I think those are <laughs> okay. I think those are some of the critical ones. But one of the things that's interesting, Helen, is when I first saw your podcast and I saw the graphic of a mountain. Yeah, instantly resonated with me. Uh-huh. I thought because it is like climbing a mountain, whether it's trying to build a sales organization or build a culture, and you climb up that mountain, you might slip back a little bit. And how do you maintain positive traction so you're constantly climbing and not having major setbacks or falls? And again, that's culture that that keeps people climbing in the right direction and keeps everybody sort of in unison. Mm, well said. Any advice you'd give to me? To you? Gosh, <laughs> what kind of advice could I give to you? I would just say uh, keep doing these great podcasts and imparting the knowledge and it's one of the reasons that we showcase your podcast amongst some other pretty notable ones on our website is that it really resonates, right? There's only so much that a founder has time to listen to, right? And there's a lot of great content out there, but I would just say, keep doing what you're doing. Keep interviewing the fantastic cast of characters that you typically bring to this podcast. And it's interesting because not only do I know that portfolio companies are learning from it, but I'm learning. I'm actually learning. And I'll write things down. I listen to your podcast. I hear something interesting. And I think that's kind of really interesting. And that might even you know, translate into something I post on LinkedIn. I find it inspirational. I find it informative. There are a thousand places to turn for podcast on sales. But I think that in the scheme of things, this, this really hits home with a lot of our founders. And again, with me too. That's fantastic. I'm so delighted to hear. So as a final question, and I forgot to put this on the list of potential questions I might ask you. So if you feel like you don't want to answer it, that's fine. What is your superpower? What is my superpower? I have to say it's listening and understanding and taking the time to really listen. All companies are different, whether even if it's two tech companies in the same market. And the reason that those two companies are so different is because we are all different. And I think the more I can understand humans and what motivates them and what demotivates them, the better. So I kind of look at that listening ability and the ability to put myself in somebody else's shoes as maybe one of my superpowers without patting myself on the back too much. But I just think that's so important because what motivates one person might not motivate another. And I think understanding where people are coming from and not just from their company's vision, but who are they as a person? What personally motivates them? What do they like to do on the weekends? What do they like to read? Things like that. I think having that awareness of people, I guess that's one of my superpowers. And it's it's only a superpower because I take the time to listen and observe. It's not like I look into a crystal ball and, aha, this is what you are and this is what it's going to take. It takes a lot of time. I mean, it's spending the amount of time required to get to know somebody and then motivate them the way they need to be motivated versus here's my methodology. Let me cram it down. And you're going to, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. And that, that doesn't help anybody, you know? Gosh, that's lovely. That's curiosity and ability to connect and really understand people on their terms. That's really lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you. And I actually, I guess that's important. It's not like it's an innate superpower, but it's because I truly care. Any organization that we work with, I'm highly involved personally, and I want to get to know those founders as not only founders and CEOs and future leaders of great companies, but as people. 
I think that's absolutely important and taking the time out to go for a walk with somebody, grab coffee with someone, go on a hike, whatever. I think that stuff is really important. I think that's the bonding that people need and that's what drives culture and good things. Well, as I would say, you have learned to love your team and love your portfolio companies because it is all about people and it is connecting. And that's why I created the podcast and wrote the book because I felt like that is the core to what matters to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I've got to thank you so much for being my guest today, of course, but also being on the front of recommending the podcast, particularly to small founders and early stage companies. That was super surprising to me. (laughs) And as we talk through today, I can see how it's relevant. I can see from your lens and what the work that you do, how you make the connection between sales and growth in companies and having companies work really depends on culture. And what I learned is, I'm wow, the relevance between enterprises and early stage growth companies is stronger in terms of the people fundamentals. And I hadn't thought about that before. So thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Um, And when you think about it, I mean, even in the large companies that we've come from, whether it's HP or Microsoft, they started as really small companies. And I am convinced that even though no company is perfect, that they culturally did some stuff in the real early days that set stuff in motion. One story that I have for you, one of the things I learned at HP was that, you know, Bill and Dave Hewlett and Packard had a practice called MBWA, management by walking around. And what they would do is they would walk around, pat people on the back, thank you, just give them positive recognition. Maybe give them something simple um, as just thank you for the great effort that you've put into this. And we acknowledge that and we see that. And even today, uh, back when I was at HP, those of us who were uh, managers would carry around a pack of simple $5 Starbucks cards. And when an employee did something a little bit out of the ordinary or really went the extra mile, did something on the weekend, let me buy you a cup of coffee for that. And that little thing, I just think it shows people that they're cared about. So again, there's an example of something culturally that started in the very early days of a very successful company, and they still carry it forward today because it worked. It did something. It, it ignited a path. It ignited traction, right? And there's, they still embrace things like that today. And I think that's awesome. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great story, you know, sort of, uh, starting as you mean to carry on or starting as you mean to finish, or I've heard some term, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a little, I got to believe that's a little trickier in a hybrid or remote world. And I know Mm. organizationally, I know we are doing at Microsoft, our organization, we've stepped up recognition, small and big recognition you know, kudos and ways of doing sort of pats on the back, so to speak, virtual pats on the back, (laughs) as well as calling out people who have done great work. And we have quarterly awards and various things you can nominate your colleagues for. Because I think particularly when you're not physically in the same office, sometimes it's hard to feel connected Mm -hmm. and appreciated and seen, if you will, by the organization. Mm -hmm. So 
I love that management by walking around. Yeah, pretty cool, right? And yeah, but the, the virtual thing is really interesting too, Helen, because obviously it's been a challenge for all of us and even at Portola Valley Partners, right? How, you know, just starting to work with people via video and things like that. And it's just recent that things have opened up, right? And we can actually yep. see people in person. But while I think that as a society, we all made the best of it and did the best possible. And to your point, we've amped up a lot of what you can do virtually and digitally. But boy, I'll tell you, nothing seems to replace face-to-face -face human interaction that you get when you're in person. And even in some of the companies that we work with, we were seeing for the first time, we started working during the mainstay of the pandemic. And as it eased up and we were able to meet people, at least masked and everything in person, it just felt so good to be able to kind of connect with people. So I'm actually really can't wait to dig into your book since it focuses on sort of sales in a hybrid environment. And I don't think the hybrid stuff is going away anytime soon. I think that the reality is that they're right or wrong. There's a cost savings to remote workers. And there's also a human preference to some balance of not always in the office. And I look at sales as one of these things where, although maybe sales isn't a team sport, that camaraderie is really important. Right, mm -hmm. that classic sales pit of everybody sort of rallying around and who's going to hit their number and their quota. That's changed. That's evolved. So I can't wait to dig in and read some of your thoughts about that because it is here to stay, I think. That's actually in the first section of my book where I talk about the history of sales and the evolution. And I actually do talk about walking around on the sales floor and how things have changed. So one of the things that I've noticed too, is companies are thinking about their organization and how they're going to structure remote hybrid, forcing people back into the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I think it was an Apple idea. I don't know if they're still thinking of that, but one of the things that I always keep in mind is our customers aren't back in the office either. So <laughs> Because we go like, oh, we've got to hire a salesperson in San Jose because they're big customers there. Well, that might be their headquarters, but where are the decision makers now? And have they purchased property in, I don't know, Hawaii or Arizona or wherever the place that they might want to live? I think that it will take a while for this to play out, whatever that new normal is, to really figure out what makes sense. And of course, sales tends to be more mobile than, for example, engineering. So I think there might be some differences in thought process about, okay, organizationally, what do we need to do? But it'll be super interesting. I think the genie's out of the bottle and I don't think we're all going back to the office. So that's my point of view. And there'll be times, of course, but highly organized and structured times where, okay, we're going to go back to the office XYZ day, or we're going to meet customers in conjunction with conferences or some other arrangement. Mm -hmm. so, my two cents. Yeah, no, I think so too. And it's really funny because it wasn't too long ago, pre-pandemic, where if you'd be talking to an employee who was at home for some reason, whether they had to take care of somebody in the family or whatever, and people on the other end of the call would be annoyed if they do dog barking or some, something like that, they'd get really annoyed. But now it's the norm. I was on a call this morning and there were leaf blowers going in the background of the people that we were speaking with. And 
it's, it's the new normal. People are in cars, they apologize, they've got to shut the video off because they have a bad internet connection or there's some other background noise or a fire truck going by. It's really interesting that this is just yet another evolution in the way that we work. For sure. Yeah. John, thank you very much and really appreciate you coming on the podcast and being my first guest now that we're back from the summer break. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. And remember to be sure to subscribe to the Love Your Team podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.